You are listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, episode 47. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about belly fat. Uh, more importantly, how you know tips to how to get rid of belly fat. Uh, the last episode, we talked about PMS. Uh, some of the tips are related, uh, which might seem a little bit ironic you know, on the surface, but as we talk about it, it'll, it'll make some sense. Uh, this by far is the number one problem that people come to us for. Everyone, particularly women, uh, are desperate to lose weight. Also, I'm sure, Dr. Davis, and this is where you would agree, that some of the information that people are told, either by their trainers or on the internet or this book or that book, uh, some of the information they are told to get rid of that belly fat is actually you know, contrary or sometimes counterproductive. We give uh, some advice that is uh, sometimes quite a bit different. Absolutely. So we're going to, we've got actually 11 tips, which this is kind of spurned from a recent blog post that we got a lot of popularity from on how to lose belly fat and perimenopause. Cause I don't know if everybody knows that it is harder to lose weight when you get older. And especially for females, once they hit perimenopause, it makes it almost impossible. So like Dr. Mackey was saying, all that kind of archaic dogma that we've been fed for the last 50 years on how to lose weight does not work really for belly fat and especially for the perimenopausal female. So we wanted to kind of inform everybody that sure, you know, tips for belly fat and perimenopause is important, but we wanted to make this applicable to every, you know, people of all ages because it is a common theme of, you know, weight gain especially in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in this, uh, as I said a second ago, this is just it just keeps coming up over and over and over again. Everyone is looking for the the answer. Uh, now, granted, I think that there is uh, you know some individual differences. You know, things need to be tweaked in that based on preference, based on genetics, based on um, age, based on circumstance. But the things we're going to talk about today are things that everyone can do uh, or everyone can work on, and you know, kind of helping you get towards that goal of you know whatever it might be, whether it's losing 100 pounds or losing 10 or 15 pounds, um, these, the things that we're going to talk about today, all of them are, are relevant for sure to that, to that goal that everyone's trying to accomplish. So really we are going to kind of dummy it down a little bit, but we're going to go over some tips on that you can, that you can actually work on like from this moment forward. But really we want to explain a little bit, kind of basically why people are complaining about belly fat. I mean, a lot of people say, Hey, I've gained weight. Sure. But a lot of people come to us and they will literally grab their stomachs and say, I have never had this before. I've always had a flat stomach. It's always been flat. And then late, lately in the last, you know, two years, two and a half years, I've developed this belly that I've never had before. And it's common in men, especially because men do gain weight in their stomachs, but especially with females, most females don't gain weight in their stomachs. We, we gain it in our hips and our thighs. So when it happens in the belly, you know, they're, and they can't get rid of it. That's the biggest thing is everybody thinks they can exercise more and, and eat less and get rid of it. It's not going to get rid of it. So 
That's because it comes down to two main hormones, which is insulin and cortisol. So the goal is to balance insulin and cortisol. And I know we might sound redundant because we talk about insulin and cortisol all the time, but it's hugely important to a, to a lot of issues, not just belly fat. Yeah. You know, for, for as you said, like 50 years plus, uh, we, we've been trying to put weight loss uh, into this math equation, eat less, exercise more, you know, calories in, calories out. And there, the funny thing is, is that there is some truth to that. There's some validity to the calories model. Uh, bodybuilders, they track macros. They, you know, macros meaning your carbs, fats, and proteins. They have a certain caloric deficit that they try to achieve. And then they're ratcheting things down from there, manipulating the, the, the percentages of where their carbs, fats, and proteins come from, uh, you know, on a daily basis. We'll get into that a little bit. Uh, but it is way more complicated than than just being a calories in calories out issue, especially for long-term weight loss success, uh, because that eating less exercise more approach, you know, that's where, and I know that probably most of our listeners or at least a friend or a family member has lost 20 and gained back 30, you know, lost 40, gained back 60, uh, because of that eat less exercise. Uh, when that strategy has been employed, um, either it doesn't work at all, all right? It doesn't work at all. And usually by the time someone's in their mid, mid to later 40s, uh, certainly their 50s, the eat less, exercise more kind of idea is exactly what makes that belly fat worse over time, which we're, we're going to get into as why that happens. Uh, so number one, uh, first and foremost, this is obviously obvious uh, and maybe challenging is reducing stress level. We all have lots of uh, deadlines. We have lots of pressure, you know, family, school, finances, you know, whatever the case might be. We're being pushed and pulled in a lot of different directions. All of that stress that we have, right? Stress is just how we perceive it. If it's something relatively minor, but is not life threatening, but we've seen it, seem it, or perceive it as being a stressful event, that is creating a hormonal response. And the more of those you have on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, the more cortisol you're going to produce, and that you know kind of you know basically trains the body to store more fat over time. Cortisol and insulin kind of work hand in hand to fast track that fat storage. Uh, and you always put it in the places you don't want it and when it's uh, stress-induced. Because we've always said me pretty much the only fat storing hormone in your body is insulin. So if you have loads of insulin, you're going to have a much easier way of storing fat than somebody that has lower levels of insulin. So what does cortisol do? Cortisol raises insulin. So if I get stressed out over something, I'm running late to an event, I overcommitted myself to too many people or um, you know different functions, my cortisol's riding high. I get in a fight with somebody, my cortisol's riding high. That and granted, cortisol is supposed to save your life from you know stress or predators or something that's going to kill me. But being late to an event isn't exactly going to kill me. But my cortisol is going to go up, which is going to make my insulin go up. So then I'm going to actually store weight. And when you have higher levels of insulin and cortisol, you put it on in the stomach. It's different than other kinds of weight gain. Cortisol and insulin weight, basically cortisol weight gain, you can call it that, puts it on in the stomach. So if you can reduce down your stress, I'm not saying to, to go, go run off into the sunset on a boat, but you know some ways that you can reduce down that stress or maybe not overcommit yourself like we all tend to do, something to reduce that down, that would reduce down your cortisol. Right. Another thing that you mentioned, so insulin is the, as you mentioned, is the only 
fat storing hormone in the body. So insulin has to be has to play a major role in how we store uh, body fat, body fat or belly fat doesn't matter. Um, but there's an enzyme called LPL, lipoprotein lipase. Uh, and cortisol basically makes that enzyme more active. And lipoprotein lipase is the is basically a fat storage enzyme. So the more active the lipoprotein lipase is, um, the more body fat we're going to store. So the more stress, the more active that enzyme, the more insulin there is as a result. And it's basically a fast track to fat storage. Uh, now, this is where it gets complicated over time. And by the time someone's in their 40s, uh, their body is already kind of, you know, hormonally have gone through some changes. You have less female hormones. You have more of those metabolic hormones, insulin and cortisol. And now the body gets this message of, you know, fat storage all the time. The problem is by taking, let's say, an exercise approach only to weight loss is that insulin controls the fat storage, but it also controls how your body, your body's ability to burn fat. If you have too much insulin all the time, your body can't effectively burn fat very well. Another enzyme called hormone-sensitive lipase, or abbreviated HSL, if you look at uh, some of the research, um, insulin controls it both directions. It controls the storage of fat and it inhibits the burning of fat if the insulin's too high all the time. So if your cortisol is going up, which then makes your insulin go up time and time and time again, um, now that insulin is basically preventing your body from burning fat. So you might be exercising a ton, you might be going to the gym five days a week, but if your insulin's too high, you're basically wasting all that energy because you're burning the wrong kind of calories in the first place. That's why we do not take an exercise first approach. One, it raises your cortisol, so you're stressed, and two, it's you're not really burning the right kind of calories as you're doing it anyways. Uh, we want people to burn fat the 23 and a half hours that you're not exercising, not the 30 to 45 minutes that you are exercising. It doesn't work like that. It works in the exact opposite fashion. So we got to put the body in a hormonal state that allows that body the body fat to be mobilized when you're sleeping, right? That's our next tip is uh, improving sleep quality. That is really how we get this process going in the right direction. Because everybody is always like, well, this insulin, this insulin, how do I get the insulin down? I want the insulin to come down. And insulin is more like Dr. Mackey is saying, a response hormone. It's responsive to other aspects that are happening in the body. So by reducing cortisol, you reduce insulin. To reduce cortisol, you got to get better sleep. People that don't sleep have huge huge amounts of cortisol burden, whether they're not sleeping because they don't want to, because they're burning the candle at both ends, or they're not sleeping because they can't sleep because they can't, just can't get their cortisol to turn off. Yeah. One thing that we see a lot, and it's not a matter of you know cortisol being high or low, uh, it is really the dysfunction of cortisol. It is the imbalance of cortisol. Normally, cortisol is our circadian rhythm hormone. So as human beings, we are not meant to be night owls, right? Uh, or as one of your blog posts, we're not meant to be vampires um, where we're you know, awake all night long. We are basically supposed to rise with the sun and go to sleep with the moon. Uh, so we are supposed to be awake during the day when the sun's shining, our cortisol is elevated. And as the sun sets, then our cortisol is supposed to go down and now we're supposed to be able to sleep at night. Um, but for a good majority of the people we consult with on a regular basis, and probably a lot of you listening out there, that's not the case, right? You have a hard time waking up in the morning. You're 
you know, dog tired in the morning. You need a crane to get you out of bed. And then when it comes time to sleep, you know, 10, 11 o'clock, you're still, your brain's racing and you're, you know, doing, you know, a housework and doing the dishes and doing the laundry because you finally have some energy. You're getting this second wind and then you try to go to sleep and you can't, or you fall asleep fairly quickly and then you're up every 90 minutes thereafter for the rest of the night. That is a cortisol issue. That's how it manifests on a nightly basis. And as we said earlier, if you're not sleeping, you're not losing any belly fat. You're not losing any body fat that way because you need sleep is a hormonally driven problem. You need to sleep in order to um, lose weight effectively. All the hormones that allow you to lose weight are, you know, are impacted by sleep or not sleeping in a positive or negative way. So then people ask, well, how do I sleep better, right? How do I turn off the cortisol? How do I reduce the cortisol at night? Because if you reduce the cortisol at night, then the cortisol will want to appropriately come up as it should during the day to give you that bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, hit the ground running. So reducing the sleep, you know, reducing your cortisol at night to get that better sleep, there's so many aspects to that. I mean, we could probably, actually, I think we have done podcasts on how to sleep better, but we'll definitely put in, you know, a link to the blog, to the recent blog post about um, sleeping at night that we've done, um, tips on how to sleep at night, and also to the podcast that we have on sleeping at night. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, we could, we, again, we probably will do more in, in the future about sleep because, uh, in the, in the beginning, when you're trying to lose, uh, lose a belly fat, we put more of an emphasis on the sleep than we do on exercise. Exercise is kind of a mute point. If you're not sleeping, don't bother exercising. So the two things we always say, uh, that's why they're number one and number two on the list is you got to reduce your stress and you have to sleep better, that is your criteria whether or not exercise is appropriate. If you're not sleeping well, don't exercise. If your stress is too high, don't exercise. There's not enough hormones in the day or the week or the month or the year to be able for you to do it all. Women tend to, and I'm sure you would agree, women tend to be somewhat of, you know, like superheroes. They're, you know, they become super women trying to do everything uh, and then trying to keep their bodies in, in shape as well. Uh, and by them trying to be superwomen actually creates what they're trying to prevent, which is their bodies not cooperating very well. Uh, so sleep is by far, you know, we could put that one really at the top of the list as being the number one priority because everything else stems off of that. Truly, truly. I mean, I've had, and I know it might seem superficial, but I've had women that cry to me because they can't fit into their pants anymore or their skirts. And and I get it. They're t- working really hard trying to trying to reverse this process when all it does is keep progressing and causing more weight gain. So, so if you've got belly fat, that's not, sure, we want to lose belly fat, but that's also an indication that your hormones are and your lifestyle is probably a little bit out of balance that we just need to put it right back into balance so that you can sleep better. We can reduce down the stress that'll help with the belly fat. And then of course that leads us into our next tips, which are about what we put in our mouth. Yeah. And uh, by far, uh, the first place to start, if you're just getting started on this process, let's say, you know, you haven't been doing anything for a while. You've been, you know, let's, you know, let's say you've been really stressed, but now you're finally getting motivated and you're thinking about, or trying to decide what's the first thing that I should do. Should I, should, should I do exercise? Should I sleep better? What should be number one priority from a dietary perspective? Of course, the stress and the sleep are number one from a dietary perspective is reducing liquid calories. 
Okay, that's fancy coffees, that's creamer in your coffee, that's sodas, that's even diet soda, that's protein uh, protein shakes and smoothies, that's fruit juice, anything that has calories in it. We kind of try to steer people away from those types of things because your body does not deal with those calories the same way as it does if you're eating something. Exactly. And like Dr. Mackey said, that means diet soda. I know. They say, well, it doesn't have any calories because it's diet soda. And I have a lot of women that say, it's my only vice. It really, truly is my only vice. But if you're looking at trying to reduce down that belly fat, it diet soda is still got insulin-like activity. It's still going to stimulate the insulin. They even have research studies that diet soda increases your cravings for sugar way more than drinking just a regular plain old soda. But either way, we got to toss the liquid calories. Yeah, it, at least in the beginning, you know, there might be an opportunity where later on they can come in occasionally. Um, but again, the sugar, high fructose corn syrup, the artificial sweeteners, including stevia, they all have an impact on insulin. And as we talked about, that is the major thing that we're trying to impact. Uh, so you know, at least temporarily, they have to go. So that, that leaves you with uh, water, herbal tea, uh, that leaves you with sparkling water different things like coffee that's black, right? Coffee does have a little impact on raising cortisol, but you know we usually recommend either putting fat in your coffee, butter, coconut oil, or something that has no sugar or carbohydrate calories to it. That could be heavy cream, that could be coconut milk, or it could just be black. Uh, you know, whatever capacity that is. Um, So now we're minimizing some of those detrimental liquid calories. We'll get into fats here in a second, um, but you know, across the board, there's lots of liquid calories um, out there in the marketplace and minimizing them is the number one priority when it comes to losing weight. And the next tip is something that we had um, actually alluded to a little earlier, Dr. Mackey did, was about don't go on a diet. Like really, a diet is sure way to actually promote belly fat over time. Yeah. And, you know, this is that approach that we've been doing for a long time. Eat less, exercise more. So drop your calories and start exercising a lot is what we've all been trying to do for 50 years because we've been told that it's a, it's a, it's an activity problem. We just don't exercise as much. We're more sedentary than we used to be. Um, but uh, that's just kind of missing the the real issue. And dieting, the body is way too complicated for a significant drop in calories. Your body does worse with a drop in calories than it does with an increase in calories. You know, your body can handle that to a certain point, depending on where, where those calories come from. But the minute your calories drop too low, and we consult with women all the time, and they are anywhere from 500 to 1,000 calories um, short of what they should be eating just to maintain their maintenance level. Uh, you know, uh, And this is a, a thing all the time. They, they are exercising five or six days a week, and they're eating basically 1,200 calories or less or 1,500 calories or less. Uh, and when you're exercising that much, guess what happens? Your calories should be going up, not going down. And that's when the thyroid starts to get a, become affected, and there's these very elaborate, you know, compensa- hormonally compensatory mechanisms in the body. By when you drop your calories, that that process goes into motion, and you'll lose weight for a period of time, you know, a couple of weeks, couple of months, maybe up to six months, and then that weight loss comes to a screeching halt. Okay, what does everybody want when it comes to weight loss? They want to lose weight fast. Okay, but by doing it through caloric restriction means they are basically. Um, sabotaging their their long-term success that way. So um, we always encourage people to, and the KCCP, which we're going to get into, we talked about it on the last one, our keto carb cycling program, there's a section in there that talks about calories and how to estimate where your calories should be. 
uh, on a daily basis. If you're going to create a caloric deficit, that's fine, but that caloric deficit should not be too significant and it should not be there for too long of a period of time. So don't, don't do a caloric deficit diet, quote unquote, for three or four or five months at a time. That's a, a ultimately going to uh, lead to your long-term failure. Redu- and actually reducing your calories even short term is still going to promote like a lot of people will lose weight when they calorically restrict their diet. They you know they they reduce their calories, they're going to lose weight in the first week or so, but then it plateaus. It always plateaus. So maybe you want to lose 25 pounds and you lose a quick 8, you're not going to lose any more than that. And that is where it stopped. I have lots of women, women patients, because I see more um, mainly women, and they will show me their their phones because like they think I don't believe them. Of course I believe them, but their phone apps that are like, you know, exercise fit app that says, look, this is how much I've been exercising. This is how much I've been eating. I'm actually negative calories for the day and I'm not losing any weight. You know, that I can't lose, but I'm negative calories. It's not a math equation. It Their metabolic hormones have gone into starvation mode, so it stops everything. And the second they implement like maybe a normal diet or start to eat some real food, they'll gain they'll gain that eight pounds right back and they'll be right where they started and it'll make it even harder to lose that goal that they're trying to get to. Yeah, right. And that's the that is the you know the paradigm shift that we're trying to help people make because everyone is trying to do that exact same thing. They're tracking, they're tracking, they're tracking, they're under eating, they're under eating, they're exercising a ton, and all they're doing is making the entire process worse by doing that. You know, the saving grace or giving them some credit, all these women that we consult with and everyone out there listening, I admire the discipline, right? There is a there is a stick-to-itiveness and a little bit of perseverance and a determination that all of them have. Um, probably a lot of you listening that is, you know, no matter what, they're going to make this happen. They just need, and all of you listening, just need a little bit of a different strategy and you'll start achieving what you want. Uh, I had a, a patient, uh, now granted, she's not in perimenopause. She's actually in her early, early 30s. Uh, same thing, eating less, exercising more. Her weight was actually going up. Couldn't lose any weight. Uh, just made uh, the, sh- the shift that we're talking about, some of the tips that we're going to get into today, you know, from the KCCP, and she lost 24 pounds in two months. She went from uh, 214 pounds down to 190 pounds in, in almost exactly 60 days by making implementing uh, some of the things we're talking about from the KCCP. She kind of dove in. She's, you know, very determined. She's very focused. She did it exactly the way that it was supposed to be, and she's achieving the results um, because of it. Uh, and of course, now she's thrilled and happy. Now she has a strategy where she can accomplish what she wants. And uh, now, granted, is she going to continue to lose 12 pounds a month like that? No. Um, some of that was water weight. Some of that was the initial process of losing weight, and it's going to start to slow down a little bit. But by employing the things that we're talking about today, her weight loss is going to be consistent. Okay. And, and, but she had been trying honestly for probably six months prior to that to try to lose weight and wasn't losing anything. You know, so her body was already kind of in a place where it was ready to change. It just needed the, it just needed the right, you know, the right stimulus, the right information. Food is information, sleep is information, exercise is information. So it just needed to be the right message. And now the body is cooperating the way she wants it to. So, and she's thrilled as a result. So as we're talking about don't go on a diet, the next tip that we have is actually you don't 
what we've had, gosh, I can remember even back in the 90s when, you know, because we all started dieting in our teens as a girl, I can I can attest to that, is was always eat small, frequent meals. You know, don't eat a whole bunch at once, but eat small, frequent meals throughout the day. And that might work for some people, but honestly, that is not going to work for the majority of women or people in general for losing belly fat. Yeah, every time you put something in your mouth that has caloric value, um, everything is going to have an impact on your blood sugar and your and your insulin and indirectly on your cortisol. Everything. Uh, so if you're eating, you know, the average American eats 3.3 meals a day. If you're eating, you know, three meals a day or more, right? I think the the one study said that it was like the average um, on the low end was 3.3 meals. The high end was like up to 10 times a day. People were eating something. All right, so there's a lot of variability about the frequency of how many how many times someone's putting something in their mouth. Every time that happens, your blood sugar goes up, your insulin goes up every single time. So the idea behind intermittent fasting, which is becoming very popular right now, is narrowing down your feeding window to roughly a you know six to an eight hour window. So you eat, let's say, basically from uh, noon to eight. 11 to 7, 10 to 6, right? So you eat, you know, one, two, or three meals in that window. Um, let's say you skip breakfast and you have a, a later breakfast or an early lunch and then you have dinner. You have two meals a day. You don't have to worry so much on the calorie side because you're, you know, granted, you can't eat exactly whatever you want, but you don't have to be as critical um, because you're narrowing that window down to, you know, six to eight, eight hours, then your body is fasting for anywhere from, you know, 16 to 18 hours on a, you know, on a 24 hour schedule. I have some people, they only eat one meal every 24 hours, you know, so now they're going long periods of time without eating anything. That means their blood sugar is not going up. Their insulin's not going up. That insulin burden goes down. Now their body can actually burn some fat. And if they throw some activity into that, some exercise, uh, again, we'll get into exercise in a second. Now they can actually mobilize some of that stored body fat for a change, which before, because they're eating too frequently, they were never able to do that. Yeah. One of the best ways to reduce down your insulin is to not not have those small frequent meals. And I know back, you know, when we all learned about small frequent meals, it was also, I think, because we would combine that with reducing calories. So if you reduce your calories, you're hungry. So if you make small little meals throughout the day, then you can keep your calories reduced, but you can, you know, try to starve off some of that hunger that was coming in. But now, now we're realizing that, you know, we don't need to reduce our calories. In fact, increase up your calories. We're human. We have a metabolism. We want to, you know, we want to get that engine burning. So you increase up your calories, but you change up the, basically the time intervals that you're eating. So you can try to keep that insulin burden down. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, rel- this is relatively new science. This has only been popular in the last few years. And that, you know, you're right, that small frequent meal idea had been around for a very, very long time. Uh, and that and that does work for some. Uh, now, here's one thing that we do both see quite often. This is something to kind of decide. If you're one of those people that has to eat every three to four hours or every two to four hours because you get either hangry, right? Hungry and angry. Uh, maybe you get a headache. Maybe you, you know, your energy starts to wane and you're using food basically to feel better. Um, that's exactly why you should be eating less frequently because the mechanism that controls your blood sugar regulation, that hormonal me- mechanism between insulin, glucagon, cortisol, that mechanism is broken. Or it's in the process of being broken, which then leads to diabetes. So if you suffer from hypoglycemia, 
right? Reactive hypoglycemia, which is on the surface referred to as low blood sugar, but it's caused by either having high insulin or low cortisol, that mechanism that is normally supposed to be a very smooth to get you from meal to meal. If your transition from meal to meal is fairly significant, um, then you need to follow these rules even more emphatically because you're already exhibiting signs, uh, using food to medicate yourself that way. If you're eating every two to three hours because you feel different, you feel worse, um, that's actually not a good thing. That's kind of a mis misconstrued point a lot. People think that they're doing their body a good thing by eating frequently. And, you know, especially from a weight loss perspective, you're, you're kind of crippling that mechanism the more you do that. And as we already alluded to, our next tip is really is reduce down that intense cardiovascular exercise. Doing hardcore cardio, spin class every day, you know, boot camp classes that are going on and on and on. Yeah, they they sound like, you know, I have people that I, I would go to those classes because they're kind of fun is people would come out saying, I burned 800 calories. Remember, it's not about calories in versus calories out. The whole thing with doing an intense cardio class like that raises up your cortisol. And remember what we said, raising up your cortisol is going to mess with your insulin and you're actually going to gain weight doing intense cardiovascular exercise. Yeah. I don't know how many times a week this issue comes up kind of talking with people. Uh, well, I'm exercising five or six days a week and I'm not losing any weight. I've actually gained 15 pounds. It comes up over and over and over again. Uh, and exercise, you know, from an uh, from a energy expenditure perspective, we only burn about 10% of our daily energy um, in exercise. Most of our energy expenditure is at rest. You know, what we're doing just to stay alive, our breathing, our digesting, you know, that's where most of our calories come from. So we can do something to raise our metabolic rate. Um, that is making sure we eat enough, um, you know, and that is also making sure we have enough muscle mass. Um, by doing intense cardio, you're doing the opposite. You're actually lowering your metabolic rate and you are also, in a lot of cases, especially if you're at a caloric deficit, you're breaking down your muscle tissue. And all that cardio, all it does is break down muscle tissue. That's the calories you're burning when you're exercising like that is you're burning sugar calories and protein calories. Uh, and as women, you want to be able to, you want to maintain all the muscle you have. You don't want to be losing any muscle. Uh, and I would say one of the you know, biggest factors on weight loss and longevity is sarcopenia, which is basically the breakdown of muscle tissue or the lack thereof of muscle tissue. And that's why we, we are proponents of resistance training. So you actually can maintain muscle mass and maybe even put on some muscle, not bodybuilder, big and bulky muscle, um, but so you don't create that catabolic process by having too much cortisol. That's why we don't really, you know, we're not really big fans of the cardiovascular exercise because it's been even shown research wise when it comes to weight loss, it doesn't work. It flat out does not work. So uh, there's lots of you know programs and companies out there and businesses out there, and they're all telling you to do all this you know high intensity interval training, all this exhaustion based exercise, and we're telling you to do none of it because it really doesn't help your your weight loss uh, process, and in some ways it might make your weight loss process even harder as a result. Yeah, because if you're raising up your cortisol from doing that intense exercise and it's messing with your insulin, it actually increases up cravings. Recently, I had a patient that I wrote her an, a note to just to put her um, gym membership on hold and put her trainer on hold. And she said, everybody just looked at her cross-eyed because I told her, stop exercising and you'll lose weight. And she was a little girl and she wasn't necessarily you know, trying to lose weight. She's very petite to begin with, but we were really working on her exhaustion, her adrenal fatigue. But, you know, 
she was little and, and, you know, an extra seven pounds on a petite female felt, you know, that, you know, she couldn't even button her pants. And really she just stopped exercising and she lost 10 pounds. And she said, everybody was staring at her cross-eyed like what? But it worked because we needed to take that burden of that cortisol off. She already had an incredibly stressed out life. And then you add more of that on there by doing intense cardiovascular exercise and then change, you know, then restricting your calories. So, you know, we kind of turn that around. She feels a lot better and I get it. I like those hard, hardcore cardio classes. It feels fun to do them and it feels good afterwards, but you know, that might be something you do occasionally, not every single day because you're trying to lose belly fat. Yeah, right. Yeah. In weight train or in exercise in general, there's two ideas. There's volume and intensity. And those two kind of are opposite of each other. The higher the volume, the lower the intensity. The higher the intensity, the lower the volume. And, you know, a lot of these, you know, high intensity classes, uh, people leave there completely exhausted when they're done, you know, thinking that that's what you have to do in order to lose, uh, lose body fat. Uh, and it's really the exact opposite. Uh, I don't know how many letters you and I both have written for people to put their gym memberships on hold or their boot camp style classes on hold um, because we tell them in the beginning, you know, they've been at this for a long time. They keep gaining weight. Stop exercising. Okay. Focus on your sleep. Focus on your diet. Uh, those two things are way more important. The exercise is just, you know, icing on the cake. Uh, and sometimes that exercise can be a huge detriment to what you're trying to accomplish. The big one you just mentioned too, like her energy was a big problem. If you're exercising more than three days a week and you're still tired, exercise is not going to give you more energy. Exercise is expending energy. You cannot get more energy from exercising. Now, exercise in general should stimulate you, right? It should kind of invigorate you, but you're not going to exercise more and then get more energy, uh, you know, on the back end of that. Um, that means you're overtraining. That means you're not sleeping well. That means your recovery is out of balance. And the older we get, once we, you and I are in our 40s, right? You just turned 45. I just turned 44. The recovery is way more important than the activity. You cannot exercise five or six days a week and expect your body to be able to recover effectively. Then your sleep gets off and everything gets distorted and now, you know, you can't accomplish what you want. So, uh, you know, as the analogy is or, you know, the, the cliche, less is more. Uh, when it comes to this, belly fat and exercise, less is definitely more. So then people say, what, I'm not supposed to exercise? You're telling me not to exercise? We're not saying don't exercise. We're human. We're not supposed to be couch potatoes and sedentary. We're supposed to move. We're supposed to be active. So really, if you're going to do exercise, like Dr. Mackey was saying, it's about building muscle. Building muscle changes up your metabolic hormones. Building muscle helps you burn fat. So the whole goal, and it's not as fun as doing you know, a kickboxing class, is but it really is to lift some weights, to do some resistance-based training. Yeah, and that condition, you know, granted, that doesn't, women have this uh, idea that you're going to pick up a dumbbell and you're going to get these huge muscles. For one, you don't have the testosterone. Two, you don't have the caloric intake to do that. Um, if it was that easy to build muscle, you know, um, you know, men would love it if it was that easy. It's really not that easy. But the process of lifting the weight conditions the muscle in a very particular way that makes your body more utilize insulin more efficiently. So then over time, your insulin burden goes down, your cortisol goes down because you're not doing all that cardio anymore. And now your metabolic rate has just raised up by about 500 calories. So now the 23 and a half hours that you're not exercising, you're burning fat literally 24 seven. You change your diet just a little bit, maybe reduce your carbohydrate intake, not your calories, but your carbohydrate intake, lowering that insulin burden even more. And now literally 
you know, 23 and a half hours a day, you're burning calories all the time. Uh, and that is, can be done without even exercising a single minute. Like you said, now being active, going for a walk, going for hikes, being outside, having an active lifestyle, and then maybe a little bit of resistance training one to four days a week maximum, right? You need no more than four days a week. If you're gonna do four days a week, I would do every other day or two days on, one day off, two days on. Okay, so there's plenty of rest throughout the week. And you focus on your big muscles. You focus on your legs. You focus on your back, your shoulders, and your chest, right? You don't need to worry about any of the accessory muscles. You don't even really need to worry about your core that much. If you're trying to lose belly fat, don't worry about your core, um, right? Because the core, by working on those big muscles, your core is automatically being worked anyways. You can't do major muscles in your body, your legs and your back, without working your core simultaneously. And working your core is not going to give you a flat stomach. Changing these hormones is going to give you a flat stomach. Okay? That means reducing your stress and, and changing your diet, that will give you a flat stomach over time. Doing sit-ups or crunches or leg lifts isn't going to give you a flat stomach. Yeah, like you're talking about the dietary. So we're saying, you know what, don't restrict your calories. So it doesn't mean that we can go have ice cream cake and, you know, and 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 carb out because literally we want to cut the carbs out. So it's really about not reducing your calories, but modifying and changing the way that you do intake the food that you're eating. So number one, which we always talk about, and honestly, we all know this, is to reduce down the refined processed carbohydrates and the sugars. If you did, you know, you did that, which would, which is part of like we had talked about those liquid calories that would make a huge impact. But when you do that, you want to make sure that you don't reduce down your calories. You're just changing up the foods that you're eating. That's the big mistake when people go on a ketogenic diet, and that's why we call it the keto carb cycling is because we don't endorse exactly a, key, a ketogenic diet all the time because the mistake everybody makes is they drop their carbs and their calories follow suit, and now they're right back in that eat less, exercise more kind of mentality or that situation, and eventually it's going to sabotage their success. So the refined carbohydrates, you know, granted, a lot of them are, you know, there's a lot of yummy food that we have access to in the United States. So doing it in a way that is, you know, occasional, um, infrequent, but still gives you some of the pleasure of some of the food we have access to. But it can be done in a strategic way where some of that in overindulging of carbohydrates actually helps you lose weight right? As opposed to, you know, just keep storing it around the middle. So it's about timing and it's about uh, being selective and having a strategy, not just removing everything completely. You know, those overfeeding days that are reward days, like we like to call them, they are very strategic for the fat loss process. So you can actually, in those instances, you can actually eat more and it helps you keep losing weight because now you're not at that reduced caloric intake mode for too long, maybe a week at a time or maybe two weeks at a time, not every single day. Exactly. So when you're, so really with modifying the the diet, which is like completely opposite of a lot of the the information we've been told over the years is to cut out those carbohydrates, but increase up, which is the next tip, your healthy fats. Like I remember in the 90s, it was all about fat-free. Fat-free everything was like really hot. So you cut out the fat, you raise up your carbs. That was that was like the new dietary thing. I remember we used to munch on um, crackers, like Keebler's crackers, because, we, well, they're fat-free. They're fat-free, so you eat a box of crackers, but it all turns into glucose, which messes with your insulin, and then your cortisol's all over the place. So really, what we want to do is cut down on those on the sugars, like we all know, the processed carbohydrates, but it really is okay to eat fat. 
Yeah. And that, you know, fat's been vilified, as you said, for years and years and years. And that's the offset for going on a ketogenic diet or a lower carb diet is you raise your healthy fats. Uh, and that, you know, kind of satisfies that caloric deficit. And one of our rules forever when it comes to losing a body fat is you need fat to lose fat. And this is exactly why. When you give your body fat, it burns fat. When you give it sugar, that's all it ever does is burn sugar. That's why if you're consuming, the average American consumes roughly about two to 300 grams of carbohydrates a day, that means that your body 24-7 will always burn sugar as a fuel source, always. Uh, and if your body is always burning sugar as a fuel source, there's no reason for it ever having to tap into body fat and therefore you don't lose any weight. No matter how much you exercise, no matter how much you you know are you know, restricting yourself in that capacity, it just won't work. Uh, so healthy fats and honestly, fat, your brain's looking for two things. It's looking for sugar or fat. It's very satisfied when you give it plenty of fat and then it doesn't really care about the sugar as much because it's satisfied by having the fat. Uh, so um, that's definitely a very important piece to this puzzle. So don't be afraid of fat. Now on a side note that I don't, you know, that probably most of you know is you don't want to combine fat with carbs. If you're going to eat fat, you want to eat it away from the carbohydrates. That turns into a huge insulin bomb when you have carbs like sugar, like ice cream. You know, it's fat and sugar. That makes the insulin go through the roof. So the the one part about fats is don't be afraid to fats. You know, eat healthy fats. Eat it, but don't take your avocado and smear it all over a piece of bread. You want to eat it separately or maybe with some eggs. Yeah, right. And that that is the standard American diet is combining fat and sugar into the same food, right? If you think about all the processed food, fast food, everything, pasta, it, pasta with uh, you know with butter on it, uh, you know every popcorn with butter on it, anything that baked we, goods, <laughs> yeah, anything that we like to eat is a combination of fat and sugar. Um, separately, they're not that bad, right? Fat by itself is not something that we do very often, right? That's kind of an unusual thing to eat fat by itself or even eating carbohydrates by themselves. A baked potato, a plain baked potato is kind of boring, but now you put butter and sour cream and it tastes fantastic, right? So that is very palatable to our, you know, to our brains. Uh, but at the same time, as you said, it is a complete insulin bomb every time we do that. So the KCCP kind of lays out how to do that. Fat and protein are fat for breakfast, fat protein for lunch, and then using your carbohydrates and starches for dinner. Now you're separating those macro minerals or macronutrients. And, you know, over time that, you know, that's a very, very good strategy at lowering that insulin burden over time. Which what you said about the protein, that leads us to our next tip, which is to increase protein. And people always think I need more protein. I need more protein. But I don't think people realize we really, especially females, we don't eat enough protein, you know, even though they think, oh, I think I'm eating enough protein or I'm having a little chicken here or a little, you know, a little, um, little something here. We don't eat enough protein and protein, increasing up your protein doesn't necessarily mean you need to drink it. So protein shakes aren't always the best way to get in your protein. Really, it's getting in food. Yeah, right. And people are always trying to go on a diet or be healthy or lower their cholesterol. They're always trying to avoid protein. And I think you're right. I think collectively, well, what happens if you if you drop down your protein, what are you going to do? You're going to increase your carbohydrates. So there's this default that ends up happening. And by no means, the keto carb cycling program is not a high protein diet. It is a moderate protein diet or an adequate protein diet. Back in the 90s, you're talking about the 90s, it was uh, two things. It was fat-free and Atkins diet. You know, And everybody back then was eating steak and bacon all the time and cheese as part of their ketogenic diet. Uh, I think most of those things are relatively fine. It does need to be balanced out with some, you know, vegetables 
you know, the fiber we get from those vegetables is, you know, creating some balance. Um, but by no means are we saying high protein, but we're seeing adequate protein. And that's, you know, having protein a couple of meals a day is not an excessive amount of protein, especially if your pro, pro, uh, your portion size is the size of your palm. That's you know, depending on the size of the person. That's you know four to six ounces or three to five ounces. That's not excessive protein intake, and it's not going to hurt your kidneys. Uh, that's the other thing people say: if you too too much protein, it hurts your kidneys. The only thing that the only time protein like that hurts your kidneys is if you already have renal disease of some sort or kidney disease. Um, but for the average person, a little bit of protein like that is not excessive by any means. Yeah, so don't be afraid of fat, don't be afraid of protein, but we can be afraid of carbs, processed yeah. sugar and carbs, yeah. even though it tastes good. But that's where, you know, we can't be perfect. You can't be an A student your whole life. So um, what we were talking about is that protocol that we put together, or the program, the Keto Carb Cycling Program, is you can still have a birthday. You can still have movie night. You know, you can still live a life. Our whole goal is to really be more like a B student in life because if you're a B student, you can maintain that. Nobody can maintain being an A student. So it's really about finding that balance. And the the last tip on our on our list is about liver function, which we talk about the liver all the time because the liver is an amazing organ. But at, the neat thing about the liver is, and then we always say, is the liver is the most powerful fat burning organ that we have in our entire system. Yeah. Now, granted, your muscles are also there to burn fat, but everything has to be processed through the liver first. Your liver controls all energy metabolism. So if you're wanting to burn fat, the liver is playing a significant role in that. And now here's here's where really the consequence of insulin comes into play. Every time you eat a meal, your blood sugar goes up instantaneously, and then your insulin is released from the pancreas. The first place that that insulin goes is to the liver. Um, so the liver is getting every time you're, let's say you're the average American, you're eating 3.3 meals a day and your liver is getting bombarded because you're having pancakes for breakfast. You're having a sandwich and chips for lunch and you're having pasta for dinner, right? That's not out of the realm of possibilities in the, in the, you know, the United States. Uh, that means your pancreas or your liver is being bombarded with all this insulin and then the, the liver starts to not respond to that insulin. And now those insulin receptors start to what they call downregulate, meaning that you're losing the number of receptors. Now the liver is not responding to that insulin anymore. What does your pancreas do? It releases more insulin. So you're putting insulin on top of insulin. You have that, pank, that pancake breakfast. You have the sandwich for lunch. You have the pasta again. And now it gets worse. And then it gets worse. And it gets worse. And now the message your body gets is storing fat all the time. So Improving liver function. That means alcohol. That means caffeine. That means medications. That means stress. And then, of course, the sugar and the refined carbohydrates. All of those things are going to dictate how well your liver functions on a daily basis. So, really, all of the tips that we went through are going to re- are going to improve liver function. Reducing down the insulin and the cortisol and the glucose burden is going to help the the liver work better. Increasing up more metabolic weight or metabolic weight resistance is going to improve your liver. Do it, you know, reducing down the cardio is going to improve your liver. Yeah. So uh, if you want to download the KCCP, just go to the website, progressionhealth.com. It has all this information, maybe not laid out in the tips necessarily, but it certainly has, you know, the goal of the KCCP is to accomplish all of these tips. Uh, So, and of course, if you have any uh, questions or problems, let us know. We're here to help. We want to make sure that you all have success. 
you know, with the with the KCCP. Dr. Davidson, do you have anything else to add for this? No, no, please go on the website, download it. If you have any questions or concerns or comments, please let us know because we're always revamping it and trying to make it more clear for the, you know, for everybody to understand. Okay. Uh, until next time, I'm Dr. Matt. <laughs> and I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.